the best innovators I have found in life are those who just persist and work really, really, really hard on something and they don't give up. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development as businesses aim for long-term success. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sofion CTO. If you're looking for additional information around new product development or corporate innovation, sign up for Sofian's newsletter where we share news and industry best practices monthly. The fastest way to do this is to go to sofian.com, that's S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, and click the sign up and stay informed box. Welcome everybody. My guest today is Andy Machuda, CEO of Sofian. Early on in his career in computing technology, Andy was with Control Data. When I met him, he was CEO of a successful consulting company that was focused on leveraging knowledge management capabilities around science and technology. Andy merged that company with Sofion in 2000 and really built Sofion into what it is today. Welcome to the show, Andy. Thanks for having me, Paul. Good to chat again. Glad you could join us. Doing okay? Everybody doing okay in your way, in your place? Yeah, like everybody else, a bit of anxiousness going on on the home front, but excited that we're right around the corner from getting back out socially with everybody and interacting and carrying life on as, as we have known it for years. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the next the next round of business and seeing customers again and seeing uh, colleagues. It's, it's uh, all right ahead of us, just around the corner. Yeah. Well, Andy, you've had a great background. How did you first get involved in innovation with new product development? Yeah, you know, when I reflect on the question, Paul, what really exposed me to innovation was my time with that company you just referenced in my introduction called Teltech. It was a privately held, venture-backed company. And I got, we served R&D professionals sitting inside R&D-based companies and got exposed to some real fascinating experiences. And looking at the struggles, the challenges that these organizations were focused on and some just unbelievable breakthroughs. So it very much hooked me on innovation made me appreciate how difficult innovating is in a repeatable fashion. And as part of that exposure, you know, we, we had a service where we had access to 30,000 experts and we would introduce these experts to help solve hard problems. And that also introduced me to Dr. Robert Cooper, who's a, a, a leader and certainly the creator and grandfather of StageGate, the innovation decision-making process. And Anybody who's met Bob understands how dynamic of an individual he was. And so really kind of my passion for innovation grew from those experiences. Yeah, he's uh, <laughs> he is a very motivational person. I would agree for that. Andy, what was the internet like back then when you were doing that company? I mean, obviously, there's so much source of data in the internet today, but you didn't have that back then, did you? You're making me feel old here, Paul. <laughs> the internet didn't really exist. We had a, a team of 30 analysts that were had expertise in searching online databases, and we created a database of who's who in the science and technology world in order to source and find these experts in the world, and they all had to be pre-qualified. So 
the service was was human based. It wasn't computer based. There was no Google around. And these are really good searchers. A number of our, our 30 people were professional librarians in the past. And so they were very familiar with search and retrieval technology and, and sources. And so yeah, the internet as we know it today is is completely different, but it wasn't around as a search tool or certainly the valuable source back in the 90s that it is today. Yeah, so when I think, you know, you were doing innovation or your customers were doing innovation back then and and now thinking about what innovation is today, do you have any particular success stories you like to think about during that journey? You know, there, there's been a lot of change in how people innovate and the, the environment, what we refer to, Paul, is the, the innovation ecosystem today versus back then. But I'll tell you, there's one story in particular that irrelevant of that ecosystem available to innovate and solve problems is relevant back in the 90s as it is today. And it is a story about a, a heart valve company. I operate out of Minneapolis, and so we're quite progressive in the world with these medical device companies in our backyard. And one of them was a client of ours and they had a problem with a new product. It was a new heart valve that they were looking to bring to market. It was in the, the, the phase of development and they had been stuck for months on getting the seal tightly to function properly on the heart valve. Yeah, quite a serious and significant problem. And you know, th these heart valves, they operate in saline solutions. And so after struggling for months, reaching out to their own industry of, of experts, they came to Teltech. And we put them in touch with an expert who solved the problem in a very short period of time. It was days, I, I think not more than a week, and blew them away. And the reason that this story really sticks with me as one of my favorites is because it shows the profound value of innovation when it occurs. And in this case, we found an expert that knew nothing about heart valves, but was an expert from the submarine industry. And the search terms that our analysts were using to find the expert was looking at things like high pressure valves. These are valves that operate in, in saline solutions and so forth. And it was using that kind of approach to find an expert, again, that knew nothing about heart valves and, and solve this problem because of the different approach to the problem and a completely different environmental setup that got introduced in to this medical industry problem and solved it very quickly. Really, really cool. I come across these types of situations, innovation breakthroughs, call it, today that, that did happen back then. It's just that there's more enabling services and tools and capabilities to increase the frequency of, of those connections. That, that is an amazing story. I, I know you're a big proponent of the ecosystem and trying to extend your ecosystem beyond just your close cadre of people you know. And that is just a perfect example of why you want to do that. Thanks for sharing that. That must have been, yeah, that's something you don't forget easily. Well, you've worked across, I know, hundreds of companies, Andy. You, you, you speak to CEOs, you speak to knowledge workers, innovation workers, you, you work at all levels. You never hesitate to, to talk to somebody. What are some of the top challenges you're seeing out there? Well, the number one challenge that I see in the industry today is many, many traditional market leaders are being disrupted through the innovation of new players coming into the markets. And, you know, for years and years, if you were the market leader, pick any one of them, a, a GE, 
or you Procter and Gamble, you go on and on. These market leaders would spend a lot of their efforts defending the hill. So they knew that they were the leader. They knew that they would have people kind of nipping at them a little bit. And so they would turn their attention to how do I defend the fort? And all that has changed. And today we find that these market leaders, traditional market leaders are all being disrupted and being disrupted at an uncanny, unpredictable, fast rate. It's amazing to me, you know, a statistic came out recently, some news that five companies in the S&P 500 index make up 22% of that index. Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, and Facebook. Unheard of. And these five companies are using their high technology and software to disrupt industry after industry, which projections, and there's a number of them out there, research are projecting that over 50% of the S&P 500's companies today are gonna be replaced in the next 10 years. So companies today, I see, are dealing with disruption. And this is a top agenda in the boardroom where it has not been the case in the past. And in reaction and response to that reality, we're finding the need for many of these companies to accept we have to move faster. And so moving with agility, moving with speed is a challenge these companies are having because they were not built that way. And so what used to take a lot of process, a lot of iterations to get a product to market, we're seeing companies take shortcuts. They're moving in a dramatically different way in response to this threat. And so the challenge companies have, Paul, is how do I move with speed, but in a responsible way? One view, one lens is you look inside these companies and it's chaotic, out of control. One side doesn't know what the other side is doing. They're moving so fast. They don't have check and balances in there. And, and so this is a real challenge for companies today that I see. Yeah. In the way that the companies respond to that, how are you seeing it? the differences between, let's say, the executive level response to it versus the people down in the trenches who are trying to bring new products to market? Are there differences in their way they're reacting to this threat that's hitting their companies? You know, I think there, there are. And when you put on top of those trends I just shared, put on top of that, the reality of COVID, I will tell you the change that I'm seeing at the executive level is more frequent communication. We've had a number of our clients at the executive level say, you know, what does the new norm look like after COVID? And they're saying COVID required the executives to share, communicate the strategy of the business, the intent, the, the, the direction of the business more frequently and engage more frequently, more broadly across the company. And, and so I'm seeing that play out. And I do believe that that will be a new norm. And they're having to communicate more frequently because of the massive pace of change that all of their employees are dealing with. So that's a change I see at the executive level. The change I see at the knowledge worker level is, is very chaotic because they're doing one project one day and all of a sudden they get thrown on another project and they don't necessarily, even though there's that attempt to increase the communication in strategic direction, they're not sure what's going on across, cross-functionally 
at the collegial level, you know, the, the other knowledge workers. There is dependencies that are real at that operational day-to-day level, and now that's been disrupted, where there used to be cadence and process and rigor and checkpoints. Now they're being told, just get it done, move fast. And so things fall through the cracks and employees don't feel good about that because they want to do the right thing. They want to contribute to the purpose of the company and the strategy. But everybody's so busy with so many things, trying to move everything so fast, you know, some of that that process gets dropped out and surprises you later. Very interesting. Are there things you you would suggest a company do or look at or consider to try to tackle some of these problems? Yeah, Paul, I think we're in a pendulum swing right now. You recall the days of Six Sigma that came out and uh, there was all these exercises everybody did and, and a lot of that was focused on cost efficiency and so forth. I think the pendulum has swung to, in fact, where I have seen market segments remove the word process from their go-to-market value proposition because it's viewed as an ugly word. And, And so in the interest of speed and time and agility, I believe corporations have overreacted and dropped the rigor and the good side of process. And I do believe what will happen is that the ship will write itself. Governance, as opposed to using the word process, governance, which goes on today, but is somewhat out of control, will get aligned. And I believe your leading companies will be the first ones to figure out the relationship between speed and agility and governance. And there's going to be a a balance. And I see that starting to kind of shift and starting to find its way. Uh, and my advice to your, your question to companies is move very quickly towards finding where does that check and balance of governance really matter and make a difference in order to move the dial of these companies, your company, your strategy forward. So it doesn't have to be a heavy lift. It doesn't have to be the the Six Sigma heavy process intensive activity, but you do need to apply governance and communicate the expected governance throughout the organization up and down so everybody's aligned on the point. Yeah. So so where do you go with the the, the word agile? You know, what, when you hear that word in the context of what you were just talking about, what what does that stir up for you? Confusion. I'm not a fan of the word and I'm Paul, you know me, I'm I'm biased, right? Because of my orientation, the business we're involved in and so forth. So agile is a misunderstood word, I believe. And it's used out of its intended context by a whole lot of people, which is why I used the word earlier with you called agility, because I, I think companies need to be nimble. They have to be perform and figure out from an ecosystem standpoint or a cultural standpoint, how can I demonstrate agility? movement, modification, changing. Agile is often kind of used as a process that was created for software developers, which you and I both know a lot about, and has been transported from that intent on using in the development of software into kind of general business purpose. And it's not a fit, it's a mismatch in fact. And so when I hear the word agile from somebody, I find myself more often than not asking the secondary question, what do you mean by agile? Because people mean so many different things. It's a word that's 
been misused, abused, and misunderstood. That fits very well with my experiences as well, talking with different companies. The CEO says we need to be, probably doesn't say you need to be agile with the formal definition. We just need to be faster. We need agility. And Mm -hmm. everybody says, well, what does that mean? And one part of the organization says, well, we have an agile methodology. How about we try that? And I, I think there is tremendous amount of confusion in what it is. And I like your distinction between agile and agility, because I think agility makes you focus on what you're really trying to accomplish is to be more nimble, to deal with those threats that come at you from, from all sides. Is it- yeah. And as you know, Paul, words matter in society. Words matter in business. And when you've got a pace where people are moving so doggone fast, we tend to forget that. And so we lose sight of, all right, what, what are we communicating here? And I, I think it's, again, we're in a phase right now with the term agile. It, it'll come around and it'll, it'll find its place in, in history, but the markets, the businesses and communication will move forward. Well, Andy, where, where do you see it going, let's say, in the next five years? Innovation going. Yeah, Yeah, innovation. Yeah, yeah, thank you. I see very clearly that innovation, the creation of innovation is going to embed and shift more towards what I'll call smart. There's a different language to get hung up on. We see in in our client base, and part of this has to do with what the trend I shared with you earlier. So you got high tech, you got software companies, you know, it's been, I don't know, a, a decade already where internet of things has been a, a buzzword. But what I see happening is that intelligence, artificial intelligence and, and software and process, everything is getting smarter. And so I see that innovation is also going to be using and applying an ecosystem of intelligence and smartness that has not been around historically, which is going to really propel the rate of innovation. We see it today. We live it. We've got a client who, who's putting smart refrigerators out there in, in the market. And so as a consumer, you know, my refrigerator knows better than I do what my consumption rate is, what I consume, how, what the volumes, what my appetite is and can actually uh, order for me on my behalf online, right? So that, that's a case of the market saying, okay, for us to innovate for the refrigerator of the future, we need to build intelligence into that. And I can gain my market share in that regard. So I do believe that we're going to see more and more intelligence, artificial intelligence at work. You know, my daughter works at this company, Sleep Number, which a lot of people are familiar with. They're selling beds for $3,000 a piece. Wow. wow. Why? <laughs> the, bed, the bed company is capturing more intelligence about my health, my, my, my state of being than I have as an individual. And when they take it across the analytics they've got, because of how many people they have using their bed, their product, they have a unique advantage to educate me on my own behavior and so forth. So it's just another example of, of the market is shifting. And if I'm in the bed, the mattress industry, I have to compete with that. And so I have to innovate around how can I create a smarter bed? <laughs> and all of this feeds on itself. A, a great kind of business case where where this smartness is kind of working its way is, is the whole Peloton story that 
has just taken off like crazy. But it's really, it's introduced a richer experience to the consumer. So I'm motivated not only to exercise, but I'm motivated by the environment Peloton gives me and it's it's integration with people that are like me and that have a desire like me and they can align. So, So the Peloton bike is smarter than the road bike I take down the street. And so this whole movement of intelligence, artificial intelligence, machine learning, you know, Microsoft in their cloud now, Paul, has over a billion. They have invested over a billion in AI and machine learning assets. And companies are leveraging this. So it's just going to be a way of life. And to innovate, all your innovators are going to have to kind of stay with the pace or advance the pace around intelligence. And and that's where I, I see innovation going is the innovation that goes on in the world and in the market is going to have a stronger component of artificial intelligence, machine learning that's at work. It's going to create and provide insights and analytics and things that, that people aren't even aware exist. Yeah, it feels to me, Andy, that there's a connection here, uh, at least on a consumer level for the consumer products out there. There's a connection to the person, the consumer. You know, IoT was always this, okay, this is going to talk to that, and it was always a technical. But when you're talking about smart, that really feels like you're getting to, it's moving towards me as a person, making my life better. I think you said emotional, there's an emotional connection there. And it sounds like what you're saying is with this, AI and machine learning, that's all going to continue to just push that connection to the consumer. Is that the way you see it? Absolutely. It becomes very individual and and we see it very much today. The power of the consumer because of this is huge. And so the personal choice that the consumer has is unbelievable. And so a lot of our CPG clients that we've got, they have changed and modified the way they innovate because they need to be more consumer centric. And they, they, you know, COVID, how are my consumers gonna react to COVID? And people had no idea Kleenex was gonna be shortage, toilet paper, why would we have a shortage of that? And all of a sudden you see the power of the consumer that that takes place. Well, what I see happening the next phase is that instead of reacting, instead of companies innovating, reacting to consumers, they will be able to predict, you know, into the future where new opportunities are gonna come in because of this intelligence. And that's a a key shift that I see will will happen. But you're right, it's very user-centric. Even B2B, B2C business doesn't matter anymore. You know, everybody's reaching out at that personal relationship level. Paul, you you and I grew up when knowledge management was a big theme. You know, a a throwback term, knowledge management. And at the time, it was a search engine. That's what they, you know, search engines didn't give, weren't, weren't managing knowledge. I'm suggesting that, yeah, in the future, the knowledge of an ecosystem will be managed in a really smart, intelligent, proactive way by connecting and linking factors in data and intelligence that consumers don't know is coming. Yeah, that's in the future. Well, <laughs> I was going to ask you, Andy, what what exciting things are you working on? But but now I think I know. <laughs> There's a lot of exciting stuff out well, there. Well, you know, I think it's interesting, Paul, because in our world, we'll, we'll talk to companies. Well, we always have this debate internally. You know, do we solve for your average company, a thought leadership company? You know, what, what are companies ready 
to adopt and, and digest. And, and so it's interesting that you and I, we can sit here and talk about these concepts and say, well, at what state of readiness is, is the market for it? And I can tell you, yeah, I'm excited about these concepts. We are working with companies, real companies who are, are pushing the envelope in these areas today. And I'm just excited to see the products they crank out with it as it evolves. And it, it's all moving so doggone fast. And, and so it might not be for everybody out there and it might not hit and affect everybody in the same way, but no different than the phone is, is playing a different factor and role in people's lives than it did 10 years ago, we're going to have a completely new kind of array of activities in the next five years along this line of intelligence and products and so forth that's going to affect every one of our lives. And that I do find very exciting. And it's, it's exciting to be in the market, work with companies to help figure this stuff out, Paul. Well, that's incredible insight and perspective. Very, very uplifting, very motivational. Thanks, Andy. I guess one final question then, and you can think about this whether it would be to a CEO or to a, a director of a unit or just a person uh, down, you know, a scientist. What one key learning or piece of advice would you give to somebody around innovation at this point in time? Well, I, I oddly enough, and it might be the old school in me, Paul, I would tell that person innovation is not easy. I get the question a lot from people who's the best? Who's the best at innovation? And I really struggle with answering the question, Paul, because innovation has so many different aspects to it that I can, I for, for one aspect of it, of, of innovating the front end, I can come up with company X. For orchestration of innovation cross-functionally, I can come up with company Y and say they're the best in the world. So as I, we break out kind of maturity levels of innovation, I find that there are certain companies who would excel at certain aspects of innovation. And so my advice to that individual, whether it's you know a scientist on the front line or an executive is you have to be patient. Innovation is complex. It's really hard. Don't just take a simplistic approach. You probably don't get much back, but it's gonna take rigor and it's really, the best innovators I have found in life are those who just persist and work really, really, really hard on something and they don't give up. And quite frankly, in this new age of innovation that you and I were just talking about, even though things are going to be smart and intelligent, et cetera, it's going to continue to take a lot of rigor and, and effort to be rewarded. And so that, that would the one counsel I would want to make, it can be very exciting, very fulfilling, but it doesn't come out without hard effort and sweat equity. It's going to be required as it always has been. Uh, you, you remind me of the quote, I believe it was Einstein, but maybe it was Edison. I used to know innovation is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration, right? I think it's still true. I, I, I really do believe, I'm not seeing any anybody with easy innovation. It's kind of funny, Paul, some of those big companies I just mentioned, the big five, they've got so much money that they're throwing at all kinds of stuff. Their win rate <laughs> is very low. And they know that because they have money that doesn't matter. Yeah. But that's not how the rest of the world operates. So, yeah, you, that, that quote is very fitting today, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Great, Andy. Well, Andy, I've enjoyed our conversation. It was really, really uplifting and, and, and good to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining me today. What if people want to find out more? 
hit me up on LinkedIn or feel free to give me a, a dial up on my email, andy.michuda, M-I-C-H-U-D-A at sophion, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com. Either way, happy to respond, happy to engage, really fun, fun topic. Paul, yeah. thanks for inviting me to participate in your podcast. You do a great job with this stuff. Always enjoy listening to the podcast that you put out there. Great, Andy. And I hope you come back again. You bet. Happy to. You All take right. care. You take care, Andy. Have a nice day. Thanks again. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com. Oh,